How's it going, viewers? Welcome back to the Football Die podcast once again. Wow, it's been a, an actual insane week of international football. We talked in the last part about Italy's chances um, of getting past Portugal. Well, that was optimistic. They got knocked out spectacularly by North Macedonia to a last, last, last minute sucker punch of a goal, which slapped more than a Will Smith at the Oscars, I would say. It was, uh, it was a big one, wasn't it? Wow, shock rates around the world that Italy have missed their second World Cup in a row. And uh, like uh, we were saying before we went uh, on hit record on this, Miles, lots of players probably retiring now or, or kind of leaving the game, which is a really sad way to go. It's like a whole generation of Italian players won't get to play a World Cup. What the hell happened, man? Like, you must have been watching it keenly, but what happened to them? It was so frustrating to watch. And it was the typical Italian performance of they've underestimated a team and it's it's bitten them. They... They dominated the game, as was to be expected. North Macedonia defended very well, but mm. they just they couldn't create the right opportunity. It, you look at the stats, and Italy had over 30 shots at goal, I think, but the majority yeah. of them were just Dominic Berardi shooting from outside the box. And just, he had, I've lost, I lost count of how many chances he had to score and just fluffed his lines every single time. Immobile, I think, had seven attempts at goal himself couldn't get anywhere near and we talked about it before the game the last part that their attacking players are just out of form or don't necessarily turn up for their country and they lined up with probably the wrong lineup and it showed again they waited way too long to make changes and Pellegrini came on and looked bright but didn't yeah. have enough of a run at the game to do anything for it and instead they were left to rue their chances I think the thing that's most disappointing about it is it's an Italy side that you would say is very professional and very wily. They know how to go about these sort of fixtures under yeah. Mancini. But they just looked very almost childish in the way that they, they took on the last few minutes. In my mind, if you are a team like Italy against a weaker opponent, you're dominating the game. At that last stage in extra in injury time, just play for the 30 minutes, play for extra time then, shut up shop, let it be nil-nil, because in the odds of you beating them then across 30 minutes is a lot higher. And instead, they fell asleep at the most pivotal time. All it took was a goal kick, one flick on, and then all of a sudden, Italy only had three players behind the ball. Now, all right, you're probably not expecting him to shoot from there. And his finish was beautiful for the North Macedonia goal. It, it was a great goal for them to 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 win the tie on but I just think if you're Italy where's your head gone in that moment because the organization was awful to let him through it was naive really naive we said that after the game didn't we what were they doing letting a route one pass from the goalkeeper end up within yeah. shooting distance of shooting rage and I think Jorginho's taken a lot of flack in the game itself really for not tracking yeah. back anywhere near enough it's like they were playing for extra time like you said which was probably the right thing but shut up shop and don't let them shoot and yeah. The fact they were playing in Palermo and Tchaikovsky scores, who's an ex-Palermo player, is just another mm. kind of insult to injury, really. It's like another layer of embarrassment. Shockwaves around the world, but wasteful. They were just incredibly wasteful. I think that's the, what I kind of saw. They didn't underestimate them for the most part. They didn't close out the game and ever see foresee um, a goal being conceded, I don't think. Mm. They never planned for that, but should have took more chances, shouldn't they? And it wastes more than just this result because now, like you say, there's a lot of players that probably won't be there the next time that Italy have a chance at a national tournament. And also waste the kind of the high that they were on off the back of the Euros. It's, they're such a funny team, Italy, the way that they set up, that they've not qualified for the World Cup, 
yet had they got to the World Cup, they probably would have been one of the favourites as well. So really? it's a really big result. And I think that momentum that they built up over the summer last year from the way that they've been playing under Mancini as a whole as well, it's just gone now. And now there's talk of whether he'll even continue on. And actually, yeah. he's only lost two games, I think, in the last 41. So first ever lost a World Cup qualifier on home soil as well, which is just bizarre. And this is a North Macedonia side that have recently lost Goran Pandev, who's been their talisman for longer than I've been born, I think. Yeah. And they were without a player who's based in Italy as well, in Elmas, who is easily their best footballer. Yeah. And they still managed to get this result. And all right, they've still got a couple of players in there that we'd probably recognise. And I think uh, the former Leeds guy, Alioski, was was brilliant as well in the way that he organised himself and the team. But you've got to walk this team over quite yeah. comfortably, even with a misfiring striker like Immobile and even with Berardi, or just, I thought he was awful, to be honest. He just, it was so wasteful. And yeah. Signe barely got in the game as well. There's still so much talent in that squad and in that first 11 that they should have got through this and they will hang their heads now. I mean, there's been loads of talk about Jorginho and the missed penalties in the in the yeah. qualifying group stage as well. And apparently he's looking at retiring from international football now. Him, Lorenzo Insigne, Chiellini, Bonucci, there's already a lot of them gone. And now you yeah. think, well, where do Italy really go from here? Because who else do they have now? Because... Yeah. Not, they don't have a wealth of talent in that squad necessarily, Italy. No one that you'd look at and think they are top-level footballers, bar maybe Verratti, Chiesa when he comes back, and yeah. we'll see what happens with someone like Zaniolo. But short of that, it's not an inspiring squad, and this was their last chance, really. Yeah, it's uh, crazy when you, you, you mentioned they've lost two games in, what, three, four years. It's crazy to think that they've still not qualified for a World yeah. Cup. And the group stages were they were undoing, really. They were quite kind of unlucky that they were drawn against Switzerland as like the second yeah. seed in their group because they could have had a, a mediocre kind of second seed like England tend to do in their their groups. But Switzerland were good value. They deserve to be where they are. Um, mm. I mean, they, they were sluggish against England, which we'll talk about in a moment, but that's a friendly. So mm. they lost, lost the game, uh, lost the qualification in the group stages, really. Switzerland made it hard for them. Mm. Jorginho can look back all he wants at the penalties missed, but he shouldn't have allowed any space for uh, any kind of shot to take place in the 92nd minute of a World Cup playoff. It was just unforgivable, really, for me. I think the other thing is, obviously, Mancini picked up an injury at centre-back and they brought on Chiellini very late on. And then that just looked like they hadn't had time to get organised as a back four either because the space was right down the middle. And if you look, there was only three players behind the ball and the defence just didn't look organised once that flick on came. So I do think that that change probably didn't help them either. Mancini was having a good game, actually. And I rate him quite highly, obviously, because I've seen him at Roma quite a lot. I think he's a good player. But uh, it was just, it was very naive from a team that you would expect a lot, lot better from. So, yeah, it's a really disappointing result for Italy. And I think as well, just for football, like Italy are one of those sides that just, they are the hallmark of the World Cup. You expect to see the Italians at the World Cup. So to yeah. go two World Cups in a row now without them, that's, that's big news. It's really odd. The inquests have started already as to how this happened, where they go next. You mentioned just a lack of depth and quality past the first 11 for yeah. Italy. And I think a lot of the Italian media have done what, England used to do back in the day when they looked at uh, results like this and say youth development's just not been good enough. No. And you could probably say that for Italy. They've got some very good young players, but they are entering their prime now. They're in their mid to early 20s. There's no yeah. teenagers coming through that you could earmark from the youth teams and say, you know what, they've been impressing. So 
that's rare for Italian football. They tend to always have a wave of pretty good youth teams coming through. So that's something they need to look at as well, really. Yeah, and it's funny because that generation that we kind of expected to come through, like we talked about last time, the likes of Moise Ken, Patrick Catrone, never really blossomed in the way that they wanted them to. So I wonder whether the development hasn't really worked out in that sense either. There are still some young players. I think we forget that Federico Chiesa was obviously missing for this game and he's still very, very young. And uh, Nicolo Barella will be there for the next couple of tournaments as well. He's a fantastic midfielder. But you are right, their overall development, if you look at how even England are at the moment with how they're bringing young players through, I mean, I watched their under-21s the other night, and there's a couple mm. of them that you can imagine being in the next World Cup quite comfortably. Italy don't really seem to have those players on the mark yet. The fact that João Pedro got his debut in this game, but I think he's over 13 already. Like, that's what they've got to call on at the moment. And... It's just not been good enough for them. And it's going to be a struggle to rebuild this squad now. And I wonder how Mancini feels about doing that. Well, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of players looking at their international careers now and going, maybe it's time to call it a day because, you know, where do they go next? It's only so recently they actually won the Euros. And that's the, the baffling thing. It feels like they should be in their peak at the moment. So mm -hmm. to see them struggle to even get to a World Cup playoff, is it's just unthinkable. But where does this leave Mancini now? There's there's obviously talk of him looking at his contract and going, is it worth staying on? It's a long, hard slog to get to the next Euros, isn't it? Still feels so long away, even though it's two years. Does he stick around for that? I think the it's, Italy will definitely want him to stay. And there's, he's got enough credit in the bank from the, the incredible way that he turned the team around because they were an absolute state. This yeah. time four years ago when they didn't qualify for the World Cup, they were awful. And he really saved them and turned their fortunes around. We saw that amazing unbeaten run. And then, of course, they won the Euros. So this is for unfortunate. But I wonder how much of it Mancini's shoulders when really we are talking fine, fine margins. We, yeah. we can come back to it as many times as we like, but Italy scored two penalties where the odds are in their favour. They're in the World Cup and we're not having this conversation at all. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know. I've, I think Mancini should stay on. I think he probably will. There's obviously a few club jobs that might appeal to him that might come up in the in the near future. We don't really know what Allegri's future at Juventus is if they don't qualify for the Champions League, for example. We don't know about the Man United vacancy. He's been linked with that. But obviously, his ties to Man City might make that difficult. If Ancelotti moves on, maybe he's a, a candidate there. So who knows really where he could go? I think Italy is probably the right place for him and, and he's probably the right man for Italy too. Yeah, I think Manchester United job's a bit of a stretch. That's a bit like Brendan Rodgers as well. Both too yeah. many uh, too many close connections to rival clubs. But um, I was uh, listening to another podcast where they were talking about if you were a fan of Italian football, would you trade World Cup qualification for the last two, for winning the World Cup in, in the last 20 years, for winning the Euros in the last 20 years? You kind of have the rough with the smooth. Yeah. By extreme measures, let's face it, they've not qualified. Yeah. They didn't get out the group stage for two tournaments as well, let's not forget. But they've won the Euros and they've won the Euros, uh, World Cup, sorry. So, I mean, do you trade that in for that or do you just have some consistency? What would you prefer as a fan? I don't know because England is such a funny side to, like, obviously that's the comparison we'll draw straight away. As an England fan, would I take that? Well, Euro 2008 was awful. I don't even think I watched it properly and I, I absolutely adore football, but not having England there, it just felt like it was a kick in the teeth every time a, a ball was kicked. So that feeling is not nice. And think about the 
even though England lost the final at the Euros and the semi-finals at the World Cup, the feeling around the tournament was just so fantastic for at least a month. It, everything was brilliant. Could I go without that for four years? And you want to be a part of the, the, the conversation, don't you, at those major tournaments? Yeah. So watching it would almost feel like a kick in the teeth, wouldn't it? I'd, I'm not sure I could take it, to be honest. Oh, but then I've never seen England win anything. Italy are a lot more successful than England, really, on the international stage. So if you offered England a World Cup and the Euros in years, <laughs> but you'll miss two tournaments. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'll probably snap your hand off, to be honest. Now, but... Yeah, it's a heck of a trade-off, isn't it? And um, I think, yeah, we've, I think England have been so long without a trophy that maybe they, they would take it and the fans would go, do you know what? Yeah, that's worth it. But the World Cup, when it comes around, if you're not part of it, even if it's the Euros, as a fan... It's just not the same. Like it's like a festival of football, and I think the Italian fans are are gutted for that reason. That's two tournaments in a row where they've watched loads of other teams that probably aren't as good as them go quite deep in the competition and have a great time. So, yeah, really sad time for Italian football, which is um, such a come down from just a you know little over a year ago. Insane to think about, really. Uh, moving on to the other really noticeable World Cup qualifier then. Wales beating Austria convincingly um, 2-1. I mean, they make some heart work of it, but they had a magic ingredient in, in Gareth Bale. Now, he's not played much football this season. Maybe, what, I think it's 70-odd minutes or so for Real Madrid. He's never going to really feature for them again, let's face it. So, he somehow pulls it out of the bag on the international stage, on the biggest international stage really as well, with a free kick that you can tell he's practised that and that muscle memory's not gone. It was incredible. I think I've heard a few pundits say it's one of the best free kicks they've seen in living memory. It was that good. So the technique was fantastic. But Wales go through to play, I think it's either Scotland or Ukraine, which is a tough tie, whoever they play against for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But the on-night performance for Wales was fantastic, wasn't it? They were great to watch. It was good. I think, like you say, they did make hard work of it at times. And Austria, Austria are a good side. They've got some very talented players in, in their setup as well. You're talking the likes of, of David Alaba, Marcel Sabitzer. Mm. They've got some some real talent in there that on another day could have really hurt Wales because I think they were quite wasteful in the opening exchanges in particular. But Wales were towards the end. I mean, Dan James showed what kind of player I think he really is there because he's a good attacking player. He's mm. very, very fast, but his end product, that's what meant he didn't really cut it at United for too long because... He, he really should have put the game out of sight for Wales. But like you say, fortunately, they had Gareth Bale, who will be able to take free kicks like that wherever he's playing because he's yeah. he's got that natural ability. It was it was an outstanding finish. I love at the end when he's showing Hennessy exactly where the ball went in the goal. It's just no goalkeeper in the world was getting to it. And then even, to be honest, because the free kick was so good, I don't think enough has been made of how good the finish was for his second goal. I thought it was fantastic. The way yeah. he hit that across the goal. Yeah, it was a special brace, really, for him. And the, the way he raises his game, it's um, the, whole, the old Wales Golf Madrid thing that stuck to him from the Madrid press is, is, is very true at the minute. He's got this weird relationship with Real Madrid that... Um, Neither side benefits from, but you could see with Real Madrid's um, limp performance against Barcelona, they could have done with the Gareth Bale at the big moments as well. So the way the press have treated him recently hasn't gone unnoticed. And I think they get he gets some really unnecessary digs from them, doesn't he? Especially the Madrid press, who called him a parasite um, after the game. And although he's taken a lot of money home, he wants to play football and Real Madrid just don't use him. So 
he came out on social media trying to sort of say, look, you can't talk about high profile sports people like this. You know, they're human beings. He feels, you know, a reaction to what you're saying. And it sticks with fans. It kind of ruins legacies um, and just makes it fair game to speak about sports people like that. So I kind of understand why he called it out. But why is he looked at in that way by the Madrid press? He's done a lot for them. Why is he looked at in such a negative way? It's so weird, isn't it? I always think like when Bale, when we think about Bale in 10, 15 years, how do you associate his club career? Because really, you're going to think of the Tottenham days more than the Real Madrid ones. So he's been incredibly successful at Real Madrid. This is a guy who scored really important goals for them in cup finals, won them trophies. And of course, he's got that bad press about the whole golf thing. But it's so persistent now. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, to be calling him a parasite, it's just yeah. it's outrageous. And I think he... he um, I think he put it really well in his statement, actually. And I think he summarised his, his feelings really in a good, articulate way that sums up how footballers will feel around the press. I mean, Paul Pogba's recently come out as well and talked about how he suffered from spells of depression through his playing career. And the pressure is is, is high on these athletes. I think mm. because they, they pick up high pay packets, people think that it's fair game to just yeah. treat them like they're almost machines rather than people. But good for him to be able to co go to Wales, step his game back up and achieve something amazing there. If, if Wales reach the World Cup, what a feeling that will be for him. First time in yeah. 50, 50, what, 56 years or something like that? Yeah. It'd be incredible. So fair play, I think, to the guy for, for putting up with the stick he's got. And I'm interested to see what happens at the end of the season because obviously if Wales do get to the World Cup, it'd be important for him that he's playing regular club football to maintain his yeah. fitness going into the tournament. But his contract is up at Real Madrid. So where's he going to go? I I don't really know what his level is right now because he had that spell at Spurs last year and he was all right. I don't think yeah. overwhelming. I don't know. What, what happens to Gareth Bale next? Well, there's talk of him probably going to MLS, really, um, just to find his feet again, even as a temporary fix. There's talk of him going to Cardiff, just as a romantic sort of six-month stopgap, just so he is match yeah. fit for the World Cup, which they'd absolutely love. So that's kind of the romantic choice, isn't it? I'd like to see that. That'd be really good for him and for Cardiff City as well. But the thing is, he is only 32. I know. So this whole, let's just get him somewhere until the World Cup. Well, by the end of the World Cup, he's only going to be 33. But you'd think he'd still got a bit of an engine. He could still do a job for a club. I don't think I'd say no to him at Villa, for example. Like, I think he's a he's a Premier League quality player. Of course he is. Yeah. I suppose it depends on what wages he's going to ask for. Yeah. And then also what kind of interim period and World Cup he's going to have if they yeah. get there. Um, I suppose not many clubs are going to take a chance until that weird six-month period of the season is over. Because when, when we come out of the World Cup, it's going to be January, isn't it? So yeah. the transfer window will start afresh. And, you know, that's when a lot of questions will be answered about him. But... He does need to start playing some games, um, yeah. get some minutes under his belt. How we managed to last a game like of that intensity really yeah. baffles me because he he must be running on pure adrenaline. The crowd was, I have to say, was absolutely fantastic. The atmosphere mm. for a stadium that's relatively small, like under forty thousand people, got in there, yeah. but it felt like a lot more. So that must be what's kind of carrying him at the minute because yeah. he's got no minutes in the tank this season. It's just mm. pure adrenaline. It has to be. Yeah, and he nearly didn't make it through the game. If you notice, yeah. I think he, I think he had a groin problem or uh, towards the end of the game as well. So, 
Yeah, it's, it was just one of those games though where he was never going to give up and I don't think anyone in the way it was coming was. It was it was brilliant. And I think another shout-out deserves for Harry Wilson. I think he looks yeah. like an outstanding player. I really like Harry Wilson. I'm, I'm quite excited to see whether he can play in the Premier League at a consistent level next season, whether that be at Fulham or elsewhere. I think he's a real talent too. Yeah, I think they've got a few players that um, show they're not relying solely on Bale and Ramsey. Um, mm. They're actually playing a decent amount of club minutes as well, which is good to see. So if they do get to the World Cup, I don't think they should be considered as, as outsiders either. You know, they've competed in uh, international tournaments in recent memory. So who knows? Another fairy tale. But the next playoff is going to be a really tricky one because it's yeah. either a derby against Scotland or a highly emotionally charged game against Ukraine. Yeah. So it's a bit like Denmark at the Euros last year, where the outsiders were rooting for you for Denmark because of Christian Eriksen. Whereas this time, I think Ukraine will get a lot of public sentiment going towards them, and the players will really want to qualify for this World Cup really as a statement. So, yeah, can Wales overcome that really tricky obstacle, whoever it may be? I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether they are necessarily better than Scotland. I think Scotland probably have a more consistent quality side in their 11 yeah. i think they've got some really good players breaking through now but wales have probably got a little bit more star quality in the individual um yeah and like you say you don't really know what to judge ukraine on at the moment it's it's going to be bizarre to even see them on the field at that point um but yeah i don't know it's 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 going to be tough for wales definitely but with a performance like they just put in against austria and some of the performances we've seen up from wales over the last sort of eight years in particular they're perfectly capable of taking on anyone on their day so yeah. i wouldn't write them off definitely not uh, no definitely nothing with the other qualifiers as well it's shaping up to still be an exciting wave of playoff games isn't it so sweden beat czech republic in the other one they're still uh, i think poland will get a bye um for their yeah. game against Russia. So I think that's yeah. pretty much confirmed. Yeah. Uh, but Portugal beat Turkey 3-1. Now, in that game, it wasn't as dominant as it looks on paper. It was not a 3-1 scoreline by any means. And at one point, they nearly threw away a two-goal lead, which is unthinkable at this level. But they went 2-0 up, of course. Burak Yilmaz managed to get a goal back on the hour um, with a really well-taken goal, actually. They didn't yeah. deserve to come back into it. So Portugal shouldn't have let them have a glimmer like that. But he took his chance really well. And then Turkey get a penalty with, what, 10 minutes to go. And Yilmaz steps up and absolutely blazes it. And I can't imagine how that must feel. But it affected him so much that he retired from international football after the game, which is so sad for a player of his stature. So these playoffs are having a really big effect on players for their national teams. You said about Italy already, mm -hmm. but Turkey as well are now affected. But Portugal are now through, as expected. But they made it really difficult for themselves, didn't they? In the end, they did, yeah. But I think it was difficult for them going into it when you look at the defensive setup that they were relying on and the, the players that they had missing. And I do feel for Young. I think, to be honest, I don't think he's retiring because he missed that penalty. He's he's getting on in age now. And that's shown quite a lot in the French League this season. So the yeah. fact that he's not made it to the World Cup, he's not going to stick around for another cycle. I think he's, is he 37 now, Yilmaz? And he started his career quite late at, the, at a high level anyway. So, yeah, I think it's just a bit burnt out. And I do I do feel for him, actually, because I think he's been such a good servant to him. And he's he had a great season last year, picking up the French title as well. Yeah. It was awkward, wasn't it? It was such a bad miss, really. You, you, you'd have put anything on him scoring that. And then all of a sudden, we could have had Turkey, North Macedonia instead of Italy, Portugal. 
But yeah, uh, that would have been a heck of a story as well. But you'd imagine Portugal would be too much for, for North Macedonia now, surely. But um, who knows? That's the yeah. thing. Imagine them getting to their first ever World Cup. That would be a big story as well. I think Portugal will get through. Um, they'll have a few players back for this one as well, which will really help. Um, but like I say, their quality, like I said last week, Portugal's quality on paper, they should be one of the favourites for the whole tournament, to be honest. And I think if they can sort out a consistent back four and work out how they can improve that area, then they'll definitely be some of the front runners. There is that one hurdle to get over and you don't want to do what Italy did and sort of underestimate your opponent. And like you say, there were times when Turkey could have got back into their game as well. So Portugal have got to just go and do a professional job now. Yeah, it's it really does, they're finding hard. the same sort of issues that Manchester United are facing with Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes in the same team. They don't really look that compatible at the minute. Yeah. And they've got a coach who's usually quite conservative with a wealth of attacking talent. So mm. they still don't seem like they've hit their peak yet, which is kind of encouraging for them. They just need to find the right kind of formula to work. But yeah, Portugal definitely wants to watch if they can get past North Macedonia, which again, big if um, at the end of the day. It's such a weird predicament to find yourself in where you've got Cristiano Ronaldo who, if you can pick him, you should always pick him because he's capable of so much and yeah. you never know what he might produce. But actually, Portugal have got so many good attacking options. He's actually in the worst form of any of them. When you look at Rafael Leal at AC Milan not getting yeah. enough minutes for him, Adrian Silva's not playing enough for him, Xiao Felix have been really stepping it up for Atletico Madrid and looked great. Diogo Jota scored again in this game. His heading ability is so good for someone his sort of size, isn't it? Diogo Jota. Yeah. And Octavio, who, who scored in this game as well, is another good yeah. attacking player. So they're, they're certainly blessed in that end of the pitch, but it leaves that awkward predicament of where does Ronaldo fit into that now? And yeah. is he enough to, to get him through to the World Cup? But it's going to be interesting because... Now we see that it's a Ronaldo's last chance to get in there. Will Lewandowski be there? Will Ibrahimovic be there? Maybe. Like, we don't, we, there's going to be some big names that miss out from these playoffs, definitely. Yeah. I think the, the playoffs have been have been great and they've still got more to come, hopefully. Uh, there was a wave of international friendlies as well, which weren't as inspiring, you can say. But we'll talk about England quickly because they, they played Switzerland, who were a tricky opponent, I think, in, in any for many guys, really. And they made it hard for England, who won 2-1 in the end at Wembley. Um, Harry Kane drawing level with, or overtaking, is it? Gary Lineker's goal, tally? Yeah, he's level with Bobby Charlton now, yeah. which is um, some feat. Um, but how did England do? They had some debutants there. The Palace pair, uh, Gray and uh, Tariq Mitchell played. Uh, did okay, I think. Uh, what did you make of their performance? What did you think of England? It was a bit of an experiment, really, wasn't it? It was an interesting game to decide the first half in particular. And... It was an experiment, but I don't think it was utilised enough as a fixture. We, we did, did we learn a lot? I think Gay played really well. I think it was good to see him come in. Carl Walker-Peters played really well, but yeah. he's never going to get into the first 11. He probably won't even make the squad when we when you think about the right-backs that England have got. Um, like I say, Tyrant Mitchell came on in the second half and bright when he did. Conor Gallagher had a, a good game, I think. I think he looked a bit... Um, Almost like starstruck by the occasion, a little yeah. bit. Like he didn't quite have the same free license that he has at Crystal Palace and he didn't really know how to control that yet. Um, yeah. 
There's a few things I think we're missing. The first half, Switzerland were definitely the better side and we looked quite vulnerable at the back. Ben White looked like he, he hadn't really settled into that back four very well. I know it was a late call-up into the starting eleven, mm. but if it wasn't for Jordan Pickford, we probably would have been 3-0 down at one point. But Pickford yeah. had a great game, which is... That leaves Southgate with another conundrum because his form at club level has been so poor that I think Ramsdale was almost certain to to get into the side if it weren't for the fact he pulled out of the squad. Do you think um, so? Do you think he would have started this game if he was fit? I think I think as it was a friendly, it would have been an opportunity to look at him. So I think mm. he would have started him. If he starts Gay in this game, then I think he starts Ramsdale as well. Um, the one I don't get is starting Henderson over Bellingham. Because... Yeah. What what new is Southgate going to learn about Jordan Henderson? You know what he can do for England. You know what he's there for. But we still haven't seen enough of Jude Bellingham in an England shirt yet. Nowhere near enough. And I think he was trying players. to balance the midfield experience because he obviously started with Conor Gallagher, didn't he? So maybe he was thinking alongside him, that's who you'd probably want. Rather than, I say right. raw Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham's had a lot more experience than he gives he's given credit for by Gareth Southgate, I think. Well, maybe Rice then. Oh, regardless, yeah. I just don't think I don't get Henderson as a selection for a game like this. Almost the same with Kane, to be honest. At this point, I don't yeah. really know whether it was worth, I don't know, trying Ollie Watkins in the role instead. I know he came on in the second half, but it's I, these friendlies are always going to be like that, aren't they? And I don't think we learned a great deal about England. Switzerland are a good side, they made it difficult for England. England played a very defensive system. Harry Kane scored a penalty and won the game. You, you I. I could have wrote that before it happened, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it is a great achievement from Harry Kane, to be fair. It's worth noting. I remember Rooney breaking that record. So the fact that he's drawn level with that and he will certainly go on to break Rooney's record, that's fantastic. For a player that's played his entire career at one club and never won any silverware, comfortably our best player at this point and captain, is. I hope that he can go on to achieve more with England, definitely, because he's he's been brilliant for him. Yeah, I think it's it, you always expect to see a bit of experimentation, but um, yeah, I think when we've not that actually seen that much of Drew Bellingham in an English shirt, that's the biggest kind of loss for me from this kind of occasion. We could have really experimented with him. It's not even an experiment at this stage. He's you know he's proven, he's very much proven. So I think it's what he would add to England's midfield that we would have liked to have seen. You know, it's an exciting talent still. Whereas Jordan Henderson, we know what he can do. You're absolutely right. So I'm with you there. Gareth Southgate knows and trusts certain players. And I think that's quite clear now, isn't it? And uh, this has kind of reinforced that in some ways. Yeah, and one of them, obviously, is Mason Mount, who, again, I think I think he looked quite bright as well at times. He looked a lot yeah. sharper. Um, and it was good to see Luke Shaw as well, because he took his goal incredibly well. You worry about his confidence at the moment and how he might be feeling. But that England camp just does wonders for that. And it's good to have that spirit there. Even it doesn't really matter who you are, what's happening with your club side right now. England almost feels like a club side mentality now. They're a squad. They are a well-established squad. And even when you bring new faces into that, it's sort of drip-fed in and it keeps that yeah. good mentality. It's going to be difficult for some players to get back into the squad, though. And I watched the under-21s and I wonder if any of them might break in. Then you, when you look at someone like Rashford, how does Rashford get back into that England squad right now? Because there's a lot of talent floating about the under 21s there was two players that really stood out for me that i thought i wonder how long it would be before they're in the first sight and that's the winger maduke who's out playing in, in holland and i have to say it jacob ramsey looked absolutely fantastic again he did. Yeah. he's he's another midfielder that really england don't really have the like of right now you've got 
Phillips and Rice who can play that pivot really well. Maybe Bellingham is a bit closer to to Ramsey in terms of playing style, but I'd love to see him break into that side soon because I think we we are really fortunate that we've got a wealth of talent at that sort of age range right now. In midfield as well, which is where it's been a traditional problem for England. We've yeah. played some mediocre players in there in the past. And you look at Calvin Phillips, it was flavour of the month during the World Cup. And where does he come back into it? You know, he's been out of action for a little while. So options, I think, and it's quite exciting. But we're talking about Italy, obviously, and their strength and depth in the youth teams or lack of it. England, on the other hand, look like they've got quite a few players ready to step up in key positions when needed and some strikers in form, some midfielders in form. Defence is probably still the suspect area, I think, yeah. as it feels like it regularly is. Yeah. But then we've still got a couple of players that haven't been called upon yet. Um, mm. you, you mentioned as well, we've got Tammy Abraham we need to have a look at in an England shirt. He offers something completely different. Definitely. So it's going to be hard for Gareth Southgate to narrow down a World Cup squad, isn't it? Which is a great problem to have. It definitely will be. And I hope that he is open-minded enough to consider some of the players that aren't necessarily his favourites. That You've got to find a balance of keeping that strong group unity that he's built up because yeah. that will take them a long way on its own. But also being willing to bring in the likes of Fakaya Tamori, uh, Tammy Abraham, like we talked about last week, but then maybe some of the younger crop as well. I think... You're right when you talk about the defence. At the moment, it looks like he'll take five centre-backs and there'll be Ben White, Tyrone Mings, Connor Cody, John Stones and Harry Maguire. Are they the five best English centre-backs right now? Are there other players that can be considered? It was good to see him play Mark Gay. I think he had a, a decent game. I've talked endlessly about the fact that I think Esri Concer deserves more of a look-in as well. I think there's, there's obviously... The, there's a couple of the lads at Everton as well, if they could sort their form out in Holgate and, and Godfrey that might one day sort of stake a place. So it, there's going to be selection headaches for Southgate, but I'd much rather have those headaches than think, who on earth can we even take to this tournament like England have had in the past? Yeah, yeah. I think you've had situations in the past where the first 11 was so strong but the the bench and beyond was not that great. Oh, Whenever yeah. there was an injury, we were like praying for them to literally come back to recovery in time for the tournament. But yeah. I don't think that'd be the case now. Even if you lost somebody of the caliber of like Raheem Sterling, we've got yeah. loads of players that can play his position. So yeah. although it'd be a blow, there's a lot of like for like replacements, which is great. You think about that that golden age in 2002 when there was so much expectation on England and then Beckham picks up that injury. And you yeah. look at some of the players that were key players in that squad. You have the likes of Trevor Sinclair and uh, <laughs> Danny Mills. And like, Danny Mills, yeah. star players around. And there doesn't feel like there's that in this squad. Every single player you see in that England squad, you go, their quality. There was a yeah. few exceptions going into the Euros. You might have laughed at Calvin Phillips being in the squad, but he, he proved himself to be a very good midfielder. And since then, he's gone on from strength to strength as well. Declan Rice has had doubters, but he's mm. probably the best midfielder in the Premier League right now. It's, I really I really like this England squad. There is a lot of talent in it. The centre-back area does concern me slightly, but if you can get that selection and that balance right, then I think England should have a good shot, really. Yeah, 100%. Uh, one international friendly worthy of your attention was the Netherlands beating Denmark 4-2. But not for the Netherlands necessarily, although they, they did play pretty well. Yeah. It's more for the return of Christian Eriksen, who scored as well with his first touch, which was great to see. Uh, what did you make of that? That was a good moment. It's an absolutely brilliant finish as well. Yeah. You just gutted that they were that, that made it 3-2 and they were still losing when he scored because that goal deserves something more than that. 
brilliant moment, honestly. Like when I, I was watching the Denmark game, when obviously he he had that cardiac arrest, and it was it was awful to watch. And you just you you can't imagine that he would ever be back on the football field because That's in that it. moment, I I genuinely thought he died. And to then see him be able to put on the shirt of his national team again so quickly and not as some sort of novelty because it's a friendly on merit because he's coming to the Brentford side and played really well. He's still definitely Denmark's best player in that position. And he, he produced a, a great moment again. So fair play to him. It's still going to be a long road back for him to be at the top of his game, getting that fitness back, playing at a level that you'd expect him to be at. I don't think he'll be at Brentford for long, to be honest. I think he'll probably get snapped up by a bigger side in the summer. But, yeah. oh, amazing. Really, really nice to see. And a lovely finish. Really, really good goal. Yeah, it's a shame he was on the losing side with a return like that. But yeah. nonetheless, Netherlands did okay. Uh, another story that um, that cropped up from the World Cup qualifiers was Canada qualifying for the World Cup. That was um, unthinkable because Canada's not really a football nation, but they've got some very talented players and they beat Jamaica 4-0 to cement their place at the World Cup. Yeah. Deserved as well. Definitely. Jamaica have had a really, really bad qualifying campaign, by the way. And it's weird because actually, on paper again, they've got some very good players, Jamaica. I think Mikel Antonio is yeah. there. Leon Bailey from Villa is there. But they, they cannot string a, a, a run of form together. But Canada, on the other hand, they've had a great qualifying campaign and done a lot of it without their best player as well, who instead was streaming live on Twitch as Canada qualified and burst into tears. Like, if anyone in football doesn't love Alfonso Davies, then they don't really like football, I'm convinced. He's, no. He comes across as such a likeable young guy. But no, a, an amazing result for, for Canada. I mean, Junior Hoylet scored, which That's I think mad. is hilarious. Um, and they have got some real talent. That Jonathan David that they've got up front, he'll be in the Premier League in no time, I'm pretty sure, because yeah. he, he looks like he's built for it, really. And it'd be great to see them there, actually. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Canada can do. They might be my uh, my underdogs going into the tournament. Might have to get myself a Canada shirt. Yeah, that'd be a one for the collection, wouldn't it? A Canada yeah. shirt. I don't think I don't. I don't think I could pick one out in the lineup. To be honest, I don't <laughs> see them play that often. Yeah, <laughs> I think the World Cup's shaping up to be uh, fascinating. But the fact that it's in December as well is going to be even weirder. But they're going to see some teams there like Canada, who we've only ever seen. As like a joke team on FIFA normally. Do you know yeah. what I mean? One of those one-star teams that you play against. So, yeah, well done to to Canada. Another one that might have slipped your attention is uh, Jermaine Defoe retiring this week. Uh, he moved to Sunderland in, in just in January, um, his return there. But um, he's not had a great time of it. So, sad to see him go. He was some player in his day as well, wasn't he? Oh, an amazing career. And when we talk about people coming off the bench for England or adding that sort of quality and depth, Defoe definitely was a was a wonderful option and it was overlooked at times. I think was it the 2006 World Cup he didn't get called up to? And he yeah, really Walcott went. Theo Walcott yeah. went said inexplicably. I'm pretty sure, yeah. And then that, that's when Owen went down injured and you thought we could really do with Jermaine Defoe right now. It was um he's had a great career, Defoe. I think he's he's been a an incredible number nine. I remember him scoring, was it four or five he got against Wigan that time as well? He's He's a brilliant player, Jermaine Defoe. Really good all-round striker, really, who yeah. has played for a lot of clubs and is pretty much well-loved by every club he's ever been at. So I think that tells you a lot about him. Obviously, yeah. he had that spell at Rangers as well just before he joined Sunderland, and, and that was pretty successful for him too. So, yeah, all the best to him, really. I wonder if we'll see him back in a coaching capacity quite soon. 
Yeah, I think he's he's wanting to take his his badges, but I think when you spent as long in the game as he has, it'd be hard not to to continue in some way, shape, or form. With the amount of clubs he's had an effect on as well, he could take his pick really. But yeah, I, I remember him saying that when he was a trainee at West Ham, he looked up to Ian Wright so much, and I think yeah. he modelled his game on him. So it's weird for Ian Wright to see one of his uh, proteges kind of retiring. It must be, you know, it's that kind of cycle, isn't it? Where players yeah. who we've seen from the start of their careers are now coming to the end of them. Then you know you're getting old. Not as weird as the fact that his grandson scored for Stoke the other day. That's, That's mad, even it? weirder. That <laughs> when when you said when I saw Sean Wright Phillips's son is playing yeah. professional football, that made me feel disgusted. Now, well, on that depressing note, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's um, obviously lots of kind of football to look forward to this week. There's the playoffs, which continue tomorrow, Tuesday night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, England have got another friendly to contend with. Hooray, can't wait. Yeah. Um, and then Premier League returns at the weekend. But um, until then, mate, it's been a pleasure to, to see you. Um, as always, we've had quite a few um, extra viewers in the last week or so since we last went live and quite a few extra subscribers now. You might not know it, but today marks the one year anniversary of us doing our first pod. Which oh, is mad to the day, yeah. So, um, yeah, happy birthday to the Football Diary podcast. And I love yeah, that. Please That's do sweet. support us further if you can and uh, help us reach our milestone of subscribers on, on YouTube because we've only got, I think, 40 at the moment. So we're relatively small, but we are growing bit by bit. And with your help, that'd be even quicker if we can get there. This year before the World Cup, I'd be so happy to have a, a bigger viewership. But, uh, yeah, for those that are sticking around from day one, thank you so much. It means a lot. Yeah. Miles... Amazing. Pleasure as always. Thank you, mate. See you next week. And uh, yeah, enjoy the football, mate. Thanks a lot. See you, later. See you mate.